And uh, just uh, once again, it's a pleasure to be uh, up in front of you guys uh, this evening. And uh, it really is a, a, a huge honor and a pleasure to, uh, to preach the Word of God to, uh, to the church that I love so much. And uh, I just uh, would like to thank Pastor Smith for this opportunity once again. Um, I, re- I really do appreciate it. And uh, why don't we just uh, open with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we uh, <clears throat> thank you once again for uh, just a, a chance to come and and just to hear uh, your word preached, and um, we just we thank you again so much for this church. We uh, pray that you would just watch over uh, the pastor and Pam as they uh, as they travel, and please return them to us safely, safely. And the same goes for all of our other members who are traveling. Um, and uh, Lord, we just uh, pray that you would bless this evening, and above all things, that uh, you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, how many of you brought Bibles to church this evening? Okay, good, good. Uh, you, uh, let's see, can we have the title of the uh, sermon up there, please? Hold on. Okay, well, as you can see, the, the title of my sermon is The Illustrated Bible, and I'm going to explain why uh, it's called that in just a moment. Um, now, if you look through your Bibles, uh, you may notice that for the most part, uh, the King James Bibles that we use have very few pictures in them. Uh, you may have a series of maps toward the back of your Bible, or uh, possibly some even shown throughout, like some have. But uh, unless you're still using a children's Bible, or possibly the uh, New American Standard coloring book version, uh, <laughs> chances are the Bible that you brought tonight doesn't have too many pictures in it. Um, the Bible, according to most experts, was completed by the end of the first century A.D., almost 2,000 years ago. And uh, it's interesting to know that the preserved Word of God includes no original illustrations, drawings, paintings, engravings, or images of any kind depicting scenes or people described in the Bible. But let's just suppose for a moment that the Bible did contain illustrations that had been passed down and uh, you know, preserved through the ages, um, just as the, the text of God's Word has been. Uh, so let's just suppose that, that what if the Bible did include drawings or engravings or, or paintings? Um, I mean, after all, we human beings are very visually oriented creatures, aren't we? Um, The gift of sight is arguably the most important of our senses. It's the one we tend to use the most. Uh, We use our vision to get around, to read, to enjoy nature, appreciate art, and uh, gaze into the eyes of our loved ones. Uh, And when we come across something that's difficult to understand, uh, illustrations, pictures, or diagrams help us grasp new grasp new concepts more easily. So if there's something that's difficult for us to understand, a lot of times a textbook or anything of any importance oftentimes includes an illustration of some sort. Maybe it's a graph or it's a diagram or a pie chart or something like that. But uh, um, these things help us understand complex concepts more easily. And this is why children's books are so richly illustrated because it's easier to teach things through pictures. Sometimes we have difficulty understanding some of the deeper subjects in God's Word, and many Bibles have even included images created by artists to help illustrate certain key points in Scripture. Um, Thankfully, though, illustrations are not necessary to fully understand God's Word, and many Bibles have even, uh, you know, covered this, and uh, it's just, uh, it really is a blessing that we don't need pictures to understand all the truths and, and most profound parts of God's word, and um, we just, uh, that's possibly why there are no illustrations in the Bible. Um, Now, while we know that that scripture is divinely inspired and preserved by God, there's no historical proof of any divinely inspired illustrations. 
Um, it's also important to note that man is incapable of adequately illustrating the Bible anyway. I mean, if you think about it, what earthly artist could possibly do justice to the glorious concepts expressed in the Word of God? I mean, it's just impossible. Um, we as humans, you know, we have a tendency to want to see things that we cannot, which can actually be dangerous. Any attempt to replace something invisible or perceived as absent uh, with something present and visible, uh, like an idol or a crucifix, is a violation of God's second commandment. You may recall the story of the golden calf. Uh, it's pretty obvious that God does not want us doing that. So, you know, granted, creating illustrations of biblical stories does not necessarily always amount to creating graven images. But if original illustrations had been included in the Bible, it's quite likely that uh, many people would ultimately place more importance on the images rather than on the scriptures themselves. So, therefore, I think it can be said that physical illustrations in the Bible are totally unnecessary. But I'm going to talk about some scriptural illustrations. While illustrations are created in order to convey a certain concept or depict a scene at a certain place in time, they don't necessarily have to be actual physical images that you see with your eyes. I mean, if you've ever read a great novel, for example, you already know that the best illustrations come from the words of the author. More often than not, the words of a great author paint a mental image more vivid and profoundly moving than any picture by an artist could. How often have you read a book that you absolutely loved and then been disappointed with the movie adaptation? Uh, and I think most of us have seen the biblical epics of the 1950s, correct? I assume we're all familiar with those, uh, like the Ten Commandments, for example. Uh, they're pretty entertaining, but they don't come close to properly illustrating the magnificent stories of God's Word. Um, You'll never hear me make a disparaging remark about Charlton Heston, but you've got to admit that these movies don't do justice to God's word. Uh, so in this sense, it could be said that they're poor illustrations. And like I just said, we know that the best illustrations come from the words of the author himself. And when it comes to, the, to movies based on the Bible, you'll find every time that the book is better than the movie. <laughs> this is because God is the greatest author of all time. It's important to remember that he is not just the author of the Bible, but the author of life itself, and even our very existence. It's only fitting that his words, as preserved through the ages, should be able to touch our hearts and minds in ways that no words penned by a human author ever could. So the Bible being far more than just a good book is chock full of verbal or scriptural illustrations written by God, the author. In one way or another, the entire text of the Bible reveals to us the person, character, and sacrifice of Jesus Christ and is God's chosen method by which we may learn how to be saved. In the New Testament, we're given many stories of Christ's life. God has provided us with many firsthand accounts of the teachings, trials, death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, the New Testament is full of illustrations to help us know who the person of Christ is and to gain a clear understanding of the things he did while on earth. So the New Testament clearly shows us who Christ is. But in the Old Testament, God pointed the way to Christ by demonstrating the concepts of salvation and redemption in many interesting and very important ways. And I'm going to expound on three particular Old Testament illustrations here in just a moment. So hundreds of years before the virgin birth of Jesus, uh, the Old Testament had foreshadowed his redeeming sacrifice, resurrection, and eventual return in earthly reign. 
most of the key events in the Old Testament are, are, are ones that we're fairly familiar with. But uh, the interesting to note is that they provide us with some incredible, wonderful illustrations of how God takes care of his people and how his plan for our lives works. Um, we can gain a much deeper understanding of who Christ is and why he is the only way we can be saved and have fellowship with God by understanding these illustrations given in the Old Testament. So I'm going to get into three illustrations in the Old Testament. First, the story of Noah's Ark. I think just about all of us are familiar with that story. Uh, But uh, back in the days of Noah, God saw the wickedness that had overrun the earth and decided to pour out his wrath on mankind by destroying it with a mighty flood. However, it's important to note that God provided a way of safety and survival for those who he chose. He provided Noah with clear and explicit instructions on how exactly to build the ark and gave him all the resources he needed to succeed. In Genesis 7-1, we read, And the Lord said unto Noah, Come thou and all thy house into the ark, for thee have I seen righteous before me in this generation. So God gave Noah instructions on what he was to do with this ark and what to expect in preparation for the flood that was coming. And although Noah did play an important role, it was actually God who brought the people and animals into the safety of the ark. They did not do so of their own free will. And then, of course, the rain came pouring down. For 40 days and 40 nights it lasted, flooding the entire earth and drowning mankind in a righteous demonstration of God's awesome power. While the rain poured, the ark provided protection from judgment and salvation from certain death to all God chose and brought inside. And maybe this is starting to sound a little bit familiar. That's because the ark is an illustration of how salvation in Christ works. Today, thousands of years later, Christ is the ark where we may find refuge, safety, peace, and eternal salvation. Much like Noah, God has given us clear instructions on how we can be saved. Actually, we've been given much more than that, if you think about it. We've got the entire Bible, which also tells us how to live and honor the Lord. We don't need to spend weeks building a giant boat in order to find peace with God and eternal security for our souls. The ark has already been provided in Christ's sacrifice on the cross. We just need to enter in by receiving him as the Savior. Thankfully, God's got that part covered too. Just as he brought the animals and people into Noah's ark, it is the Lord who motivates men and women to enter into salvation in Christ. It is not something that we can take credit for because all the glory belongs to God. Illustration number two, the Passover lamb. Now, this is just a a fantastic illustration of God's love. And uh, all these illustrations, I strongly recommend that uh, you look into these further yourselves and uh, study the word because there's just some beautiful, incredible concepts expressed here that can really only be gleaned by careful study. Uh, So, the Passover lamb. When the Jews were enslaved in Egypt... uh, As we know, God sent 12 plagues to punish Pharaoh and the people of Egypt for keeping the children of Israel in bondage. God warned Pharaoh through Moses to let his people go, but Pharaoh refused. So God sent 10 horrible plagues to change his stubborn mind. And uh, we read in the word that uh, the plagues consisted of the following. The first plague, rivers and other water sources turned to blood. The second plague was frogs. I don't think that's something any of us would enjoy. The uh, third plague, lice or fleas. Fourth plague, flies. Or it's not clear exactly, but uh, the Bible, uh, it's, it's either flies or some sort of wild animal. But uh, it wasn't pleasant, I can guarantee you that. Uh, 
The fifth plague was disease upon the Egyptians' livestock. Number six was particularly nasty, and that was the plague of unhealable boils. No thanks. Uh, seventh plague was hail mixed with fire. Eighth plague was locusts. The ninth plague was darkness. And the tenth plague, of course, was death of the firstborn. These plagues were horrible, but primarily affected the Egyptians. They were sent by God for two reasons. To convince Pharaoh to let God's people go, and, of course, to demonstrate the power of the one true God. During this time, Moses was God's chosen leader for his people. Several days before God sent the tenth plague, which would result in the death of every firstborn child and beast in Egypt, he had Moses instruct the Israelites to follow some very specific instructions. In Exodus 12.3, we read, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for an house. So they were instructed to set aside a lamb and inspect it daily. This sacrificial lamb that they had to choose had to be young, innocent, clean, and perfect, that is, without sickness or blemish. And during the day, on the 14th day of Nisan, which is a springtime month on the Jewish calendar, they were to slaughter the lamb and use its blood to mark the doorposts and sideposts of their houses. Moses told them that if God saw the blood, he would pass over their house and not take the life of the firstborn child there. Up until midnight on the 15th day of that month, they were to consume the lamb. Each family or group of families gathered together to eat a special meal that included the meat of the lamb while this 10th plague ravaged Egypt. Uh, Later on, after the Israelites left Egypt, this meal would become the memorial feast known as Passover. But on that night, God came through Egypt and killed the firstborn children in all homes that did not have the blood of the sacrificial lamb sprinkled on the doorpost. God had sent his tenth plague. Those who were covered by the blood, namely the children of Israel, were spared from God's wrath, however. So, once again, much like the story of Noah's Ark, God provided safety and refuge for his people, along with very clear instructions on how they could attain it. So we can establish a few correlations here. First, the sacrificial lamb is a very clear and vivid illustration of Jesus, who came to be our sacrifice hundreds of years later. This is, of course, why Jesus is often referred to as the Lamb of God. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb for our sins, perfect, blameless, without blemish or sin, and completely holy. He is the only sacrifice acceptable to God. Just as he spoke through Moses, God has given us very clear instructions on how we can be saved through his word, the Holy Bible. Also, the blood of Jesus is what saves us today. Not only does it provide us with permanent safety from death and hell, but eternal life and fellowship with him. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 7, Paul writes, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Which brings us to uh, the third illustration, which is the tabernacle. We studied the tabernacle in depth last year, uh, and I think most of us here remember the basics. Um, But, uh, you know, the tabernacle is one of the most interesting but overlooked subjects in the Old Testament. Nearly every single detail of this amazing structure provides us with multiple profoundly interesting illustrations of the timeless qualities of God. It would really, it would take hours to properly cover all the fascinating aspects of the tabernacle. Um, But fortunately, the pastor has already done that. And I'm confident that you've all retained everything we learned in that sermon series. So uh, I'm going to skip over some of the details and semantics of its construction and purpose and get right into how this is an illustration that we can apply to our lives today.
so as described in the book of Exodus, the tabernacle was a portable central place of worship for the Hebrews from the time they left Egypt through the time of the book of Judges when they were engaged in conquering the land of Canaan. Uh, in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, we read that God gave Moses a great deal of very specific instructions for building this dwelling place and all the things that it was to contain. God said to Moses, And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell among them, according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall you make it. So God gave, once again, very specific rules and guidelines which covered virtually every aspect of the tabernacle, including how it was to be approached, utilized, maintained, and transported. Once a year, on a day designated as the Day of Atonement, a high priest chosen by God was to enter the most interior room of the tabernacle. This innermost room, as we know, was called the Holy of Holies, wherein was the very presence of God himself. The priest was the only person allowed into the sacred place, and only after undergoing many steps of preparation could he enter into God's presence to perform his task. Once inside, he would make two sacrifices, one for the sins of him and his household, and the other a sacrifice for all the sins that the children of Israel had committed over the past year. Once again, the blood of animals was the only sacrifice God would accept. For these two sacrifices, the priest brought the blood from a bull and a goat, respectively. The blood for each was sprinkled onto the atonement cover of the Ark of the Covenant. Once this was done, God accepted the sacrifices as offered and forgave their sins. Because of this, the children of Israel were saved from having to experience God's wrath. However, this ceremony had to be performed once a year on the Day of Atonement, and only the mediator, as appointed by God, was deemed worthy of performing this task. So, what can we take away from this third illustration? Uh, First of all, the tabernacle demonstrates to God's, or demonstrated to God's people that a mediator must represent sinful men before the Father. And because God is pure, righteous, and completely holy, and we are most definitely not, we can't receive forgiveness of our sins without the help of a holy mediator. We can't stand before God and expect to survive without someone holy to represent us before the Father. Today... Christ is our high priest, the one who lovingly represents all who are his before God the Father. Because Jesus gave the ultimate sacrifice by offering his blood to pay the price for our sins forever, the entire sacrificial system of justification has been done away with. He paid for all our sins, past, present, and future, by presenting himself to God as our sacrifice. So to conclude, what are some of the things that these illustrations from the Old Testament can teach us? Number one, the entire Old Testament points us to Christ. All of the examples I've mentioned here illustrate qualities and characteristics of the Lord Jesus Christ. Throughout the Old Testament, God showed his people many times how faith in him and obedience to his rules would bring them safety and redemption. Also, it's pretty clear that God always provides his people with clear, explicit instructions for how to stay alive, survive judgment, and have fellowship with him. God also provides everything we need to do these things, including the faith and motivation that drive us to where he wants us to be. I think we've seen that we can gain a much deeper understanding of God's fantastic plan for his people and for who Jesus is by understanding the illustrations given in the Old Testament. There really are hundreds more of these illustrations all throughout the Bible, uh, many in the Old Testament. Um, you know, it's often said that the Old Testament is the New Testament concealed and the New Testament is the Old Testament revealed. And uh, I think that uh, that's very true, and it becomes more true the more you study God's Word. And I encourage you to look for yourselves. Thank you very much.
Let's close in prayer. Dear Lord, thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word tonight. Uh, just uh, pray that uh, you would bless everyone here tonight. And uh, once again, we pray that uh, you would watch over all of our members who are traveling. And uh, we just uh, give you the thanks and glory for everything that you uh, bless us with. In Jesus' name, amen.